At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. For many years, many have asked the question, what if God was one of us? Through the incarnation of Jesus, God answered that question, and Jesus became one of us. Every year for centuries, Christians have celebrated the miracle of Jesus' birth. This Christmas season, we're diving into a new series, Emmanuel, God with us. Learning how the arrival of Jesus Christ changes everything. He came to save us, a broken and crooked world of fallen people. Join us this Christmas as we explore the miracle of Jesus' incarnation and the impact it still has on us. Thanks, team, for leading us in that Christmas, those Christmas songs, a true celebration of both what he has done for us and what our proper response would be. He's given us a million reasons. Um, and some of them are wrapped up in this incredible reality of Emmanuel. That's our theme this December. Emmanuel slash incarnation. Emmanuel means God with us, incarnation is God made flesh, or coming into humanity, incarnating his presence uh, with us. And we've been looking at some key passages in Scripture that highlight that reality. Uh, scriptures that call out that incredible miracle of the incarnation, that Jesus, the second person of the triune God, who's always existed became human, took on human flesh, became one just like us. And our passage this morning is Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'd really encourage you to turn there. Philippians 2, you can use your devices, of course. If you're using the U version, uh, you'd, you'd be able to look on, what is it, live events, I think, that, that tab, and be able to find Woodside Algonac and follow along in the scripture as well as the, uh, the, the outline. The letter of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to thank them for their partnership in the gospel that they've had for a few years. Uh, this city of Philippi was one of those first places where a church was formed. So it was very dear to Paul's heart. They became partners with him as they sent funds and even people to help Paul in his missionary journeys. So he writes this letter of Philippians back to them kind of as a Christmas letter. Right? Do you get any of those? Anybody get Christmas letters? Okay. No? The rest of you don't. Man, that's too bad. You should, you should be more friendly, <laughs> which might bring more friends who might send you a letter. Typically, they come from people that maybe are distant, you know, geographically from you, deeply involved in relationship with them, but... Maybe it's family, extended family, maybe it's friends that you knew from a different location, and, and now this is their way of catching up, letting you know what's going on in their life, asking those questions. We'd love to hear from you if you have a chance. Come visit if you ever come over this way type of thing. Well, that's kind of what Paul is writing to them. Hey, here's what's going on in my life. Here's a couple of people that you know very well. Here's what they have to say. Here's some things that I anticipate going on in this next year. But then Paul takes it a step further and says, and there's some things we need to talk about. One thing in particular, he had got wind that 
in the church of Philippi, there was some interpersonal conflict going on. In the church, can you believe it? <laughs> Who'd have thought that stuff like this would happen in the church? Philippi, of course, just Philippi. And Paul writes to challenge them on this, that this is not what the church should be living, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, that he has united us together. And so he addresses this conflict in a very interesting way. He says to those in conflict, hey, think about Christmas, would you? I mean, he doesn't use those terms. I mean, Christmas wasn't celebrated back in the first century. It wasn't until the fourth century that there was worship services centered around the birth of Christ. But Paul, nonetheless, hearkens back to the incredible power of the incarnation. Jesus coming to earth to help them understand how to live in a healthy relationship with one another. He deals with the concept of humility. Humility is all over the Christmas story. Certainly more than just the sweet-smelling hay and the quiet, subtle candlelight filling the manger scene, right? Not that kind of humility, but as we'll see in Philippians 2, the humility of, of the one being who deserved all of the worship of everything that was made experiencing the incredible glory of heaven and how in humility he came to earth, demonstrated humility by offering himself as a payment for our sins. And he commends this idea to them to say, and if you think about that, how in the world can you have pride between one another? And so as we think about the incarnation today, my hope is that we would look deeply at Christ's coming so deeply that it affects how you view yourself, how you view others, and then how we relate with one another. Humility is, a, is an interesting trait. Question for you, is it worth it to be humble? Well, it depends when, when you get asked that, right? I mean, if somebody just treats you like a servant or a slave, part of your flesh says, well, no, don't treat me like that. I'm not your slave, right? I'm not your servant. But then when you're in church and the pastor asks the question, is it worth it to be humble? We say, well, well yeah. I asked AI chat this question, I, and I quote, is it worth it to be a humble person, I asked. And I just wanted to see, okay, how, how does all the data that's out there all filter together to answer that question? And the answer was really 
superlative and very non-committal. And it was like talking to somebody else. We don't want to give you a clear answer. But, but eventually they got along in, into, the, into that maybe a 200-word answer where it listed seven reasons why many cultures view the trait of humility with high regard. It listed things like humility can improve relationships. It can reduce stress. It can enhance influence. It can increase leadership. And it kind of makes, every, makes humility sound like a, whoa, whoa, whoa I, I like all of that. Sure, maybe humility is a very good thing. But so why is humility so hard to acquire? Why is it so hard to live? I mean, it, it seems like everybody should want to be humble if it produces such advantages like that. But humility is one of those elusive characteristics that once you think you're getting starting to master humility, <laughs> you lost it. In fact, some, you know, my goal this year is to be more humble. Okay, probably a bad way to start. So how? If, if humility is a trait that God expressed... As Jesus came to earth, if humility is a trait that he commends to us to follow in, how in the world can we pursue this? Philippians chapter 2. There's three things that Paul mentions, or at least we want to pull out from what Paul says in this very classic passage. In fact, you could, if you look to the book of Philippians, you could put these verses, 3 through 8, kind of at the center, and everything in Philippians kind of comes out of it. This is the core. In fact, this was, some feel like this was an early hymn of the early church. That this was a poetic creation that guided both their theology and their relationships to one another. And he says in verse 3, we're going to start looking at verse 3. We see Paul calling us to consider our position. Verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony filled with aristocrats, aristocrats filled with um, retired Roman soldiers, it was truly embedded with the Roman culture. And that culture was one of conceit and self-ambition. This is how you achieve status, by demonstrating it to others, by helping others see by who you associated with, by how you dressed, by how you presented yourself in public. They would be able to see how valuable and important you were kind of like our culture today. We maybe use social media for such things, including our status, and whether it's tearing down others so we look better, or whether it's casting this perfect view of ourselves. We protect our brand. Uh, we we create followers, increase followers, finding significance in who we are, or what people think of us or how well we want to commend ourselves in the presence of others. Paul says, 
If you've given your life to Jesus, don't do anything for that. I mean, that's a pretty strong word when he says, do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Instead, look to the value others. Be concerned with their needs. He says in, to the Romans, in Romans 12, 3, he says, humility is not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, think of yourself through the lens of what Scripture says about you. What does Scripture say about you? First of all, it says you are created. Not that you created yourself. Not that any one of us is a self-made man or a self-made woman. Or you control your destiny. Nope. According to what Scripture says, we are created. It's kind of that turtle on a Facebook, face post Turtle on a fence post. <laughs> Facebook post, fence post. You see, yeah, okay. Turtle on a fence post. He never got there by himself, right? It just couldn't have happened. Somebody would have had to place him there. Scripture commends that constantly. That we're created in the image of God. And so that brings value, but not value that's come from ourselves, but a value that's come from the one greater than us. Our circumstances. It's not because of us. In fact, if any circumstance would be because of us, it's the one that says, so we, like all, are sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that does what is right. Doing good is not what we can take credit for because our evil far outweighs our good. And then scripture also says time and time and time again, God's kindness, God's grace, grace upon grace that he shows his kindness to the just and the unjust, and the good things in our life are because of God's gift to us. So when Paul says, consider your position, he's calling us to remember that our value is not in ourselves. It's not in what we accomplished. It's not in your education, accomplishments. It's not in what you've done. It's not how good you are in the baseball team or what... what uh, grades you get, or if you're a national honor society, none of those things give value. In fact, when you begin to find value in those things, you create a house of cards. You create a house built on a, on a, on a crumbling foundation because none of those things will last. You'll eventually retire from the sports game. You'll eventually find a limit to what you can accomplish on your job. You'll eventually miss that perfect grade. So those things we can't find value in. What we can find value in is what God has said about us, that we're created in his image. We're much loved by the Father, and that's how we can view one another. Created in the image of God, loved by the Father. Second, as he continues... He says, not only consider your position, consider your mindset. 
Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's kind of a strange phrase. Have this mental thinking amongst yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, if it's mine in Christ Jesus, don't already, I already have this mindset? If you were to look at different versions of this verse, there's, there's a couple different nuances as they've tried to translate this, this verse from Greek. Here in the English Standard Version, it's the idea of this mindset has been given to you, so live according to, to it. If you were to read the NIV or the King James, it, it renders uh, to, to think in this kind of way. So it puts the responsibility on you, where in this version, ESV, it kind of has the responsibility given to God, and now we embrace what he's, what he's done. So in one sense, humility is not something that you can create in and of yourself. That idea of, I'm going to try to be more humble, is probably going to be a struggle for you. Because if it's from our own effort, we have something to take pride in. In fact, humility seems to be a mentality that has been given to us by Jesus. Well, what is that mentality that Jesus has that he's given to us? And we see that in the next verse. In verse 6, consider our example. Philippians 2 verse 6 says, Who though he, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, in other words, he was in the very nature God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. No, no, he's not saying, I stopped being God. He just stopped living out the status or the prestige of God. Taking the form of a servant instead and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. This is the incarnation. This is God in human flesh. The perfect God deserving of all of worship and all affection stepped into the lower, lower position of human. Not only to just be human, but to serve humans. Who is the one being that should have always been the one being served? It's Jesus. It's God's one and only son. It's the creator of all the world. He is the one being that truly deserved to always be the one being served. But instead, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. So Paul says, just, just think about that for a while. Process this. Because the more you can process what God has done in letting go of that status of being the center of attention to, kind of, to now coming and to, to serve, the more you, you focus on that, the more 
you begin to experience the humility that is required to live in harmony with one another. In fact, the great preacher, British preacher of a previous generation, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote this. A friend was asking me the other day, how can I be humble? He felt there was pride in him and he wanted to know how to get rid of it. He seemed to think that I had some patent remedy and could tell him, well, do this and that and the other and you'll be humble. I said, I have no, hum no method or technique. I can't tell you to get down on your knees or believe in prayer because I know you'll soon be proud of that. There's only one way to be humble, and that is to look into the face of Jesus. You cannot be anything else when you see him. That's the only way. Humility is not something you can create within yourself. Rather, you look at him, you realize who he is and what he has done, and you are humbled. Can I just say that's, that's one reason why God has called the church to gather together often. The book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews said, do not forsake assembling yourselves together like some people do. But all the more as you see the day approaching. Why is that? Because it's so important for us to gather together, to stare at the face of Jesus together. To know that we don't come here, this isn't going to be a, season, a time, when, an hour when you come in and it's a, it's a bunch of self-improvement techniques that we offer to you. Because it's not about us. If it becomes about us, we will become arrogant and proud and eventually division will separate us and we'll be just like the world. Instead, we come together, we spend time speaking and singing and studying about the things of God, because the more we focus on Him, the more the mentality of Jesus is formed in us, and we begin to live out abundant life truth, truth that says it's not all about me. Have you ever noticed that the more you think about yourself, the more miserable you become? You ever notice, parents, the more time your kids spend just with them and the screen and doing all this, they take the screen with the goggles or the control and they set it off, suddenly they're grumpy. Why is that? Because they've been thinking about themselves for the last three hours. And we think, oh, yeah, this generation. And yes, isn't that how sometimes we can be guilty spending our weekends? Isn't that how we can spend our time at work thinking only about our own ambition, our own conceit, our own accomplishments? No wonder there's divisions in relationships. When we start keeping track of how many times I did this chore, when it's time for the other person to, and they keep asking me to do the chore, when that becomes my focus instead of how can I, in honor, consider others more significant than myself, isn't you know that that's the path that Jesus carved for us to live? And Jesus said, I came, not, I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. So follow my example when you think of Christ coming to earth, think of three key words. Number one, think empty. Think of how Jesus emptied himself of the privilege of being the center 
Let that word and that concept of empty settle into your heart. And just consider how life in your perspective would change if when you, instead of thinking about what you are and what you deserve, instead you live open-handedly and, and empty out all those expectations of other people, expecting them to speak certain way towards you or do something for you or such thing. What if you, what if you had that perspective of, nope, today I'm going to live empty of selfish ambition and conceit. Secondly, think as you think of Jesus coming to earth, think of the, the key word, serve. Think of how Jesus came to serve those that desperately needed him, that didn't even know they needed him. In fact, he served those that would reject his, his gifts of service. Just imagine how your perspective would change if you so faithfully focused on Jesus' humble example of serving where he served regardless of their response. What if we began to have that kind of attitude of service? Not serving because of how appreciative people are. Well, if you're not going to say thank you, I guess this is the last time that I'm going to do this for you. (laughs) What if we just found joy in serving? Knowing that by serving, we are serving the Lord Christ. This is one of those challenges that come, even, and you'll face it, those of you that will be serving on, on, on Wednesday through our grocery giveaway, we're go, we'll probably encounter, if it's like most times, we'll encounter people that are extremely gracious, extremely appreciative, and there'll be some people that didn't get what they thought they should get from that. And in your mind will be this thought, it's free. <laughs> Anything seems like you should be grateful for and you're going to be tempted maybe to have a little bit of a, of a callous form in your heart unless you faithfully remember God who did not consider that very nature of God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and came to serve even those that would reject him. Empty. Serve. And number three, the key word of Christmas is the word obedient. Obedient to the Father. This is what motivated Jesus to the cross is obedience to the Father. And sometimes we have this idea, well, I'm so beautiful, Jesus looked at me and so he did this, all this because I'm so valuable to him. You are valuable to him. But what ultimately kept him on the cross was his obedience to the Father because he believed that the will of the Father is best. Lord, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But it's not my will. It's yours be done. Jesus would say throughout the book of John, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. The words that I give you are the words the Father has given me to give to you. He says in John 5.30, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
as Jesus took this posture of a servant, as he emptied himself, as he served and was obedient to the Father, it came out of his ultimate trust in his Father. That he trusted his reputation to the Father. He trusted his physical safety to the Father. His status in the world, his, his the eternal outcome. He, he entrusted all of that to his Father. And he's given us that, that example of here's, here's, here's how to live our lives. And Jesus made it so simple when he said, this is, what, this, is, this is living out the kingdom. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. May that be the foundation of all that you do. Your love and your obedience to the Father. And then love others out of that. Some people try to take one without the other. Some people say, well, I don't need God, but boy, I'm going to be a loving person. And I'm going to be kind. There's a lot of great service organizations that are out there, but they all tend to hit a wall. Why? Because it's not based on that submission and the love of the Father. And you're going to hit a wall to say, I don't need God. I'm just going to be kind to people. You're going to hit a wall because if God's not God in your life, who is going to be? The same one that all humanity has formed. God in their own image. I become God. And that's where chaos sets in. So Jesus the Son was obedient to the Father. Out of that obedience, emptied himself. And he served the people of this world. And he served you and me. Philippians chapter 2 is a, is a hallmark for the church. It's a central theme that not only teaches us how much God loved the world that he sent his one and only son, not only teaches us the identity of Jesus being fully God and fully man, but it helps us understand, okay, how is hum if humility is good, how do I live that way? You focus on the example of Jesus and you let the mindset that guided Jesus Become your mindset because you now have the mind of Christ. Let that guide how you live. Just watch the joy that fills your life when that becomes the way we live. Let's pray. Father, we do want your will in our lives. Father, we do want you to be the center of all that we do and all that we are because, Father, we believe that you are the source of life. You're the source of joy. Things aren't and so though we're excited about Christmas gifts we've purchased for others, we're excited about maybe a gift that someone's purchased for us, we know that, Lord, any joy that comes from that is going to be short-lived. Oh, we're excited about gathering together with family and friends. We love people that you've placed in our lives, and we look forward to those moments. But, Father, we know that that, that joy will be limited. The only abundant joy comes as we give our lives to you and your will becomes most important to our lives as we empty ourselves of our own ambition and our own conceit as we serve the needs of others being fully obedient to the will of the Father may this be how we live this is our prayer in Jesus name 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.